Hello and welcome to the This Week in Cleantech podcast. Each week, our host, David Hunt, speaks to a leading startup CEO, executive, thought leader, or industry insider in the cleantech sector. Focused on the clean energy and clean mobility transitions, each guest shares the highs and lows of their cleantech journey, their industry insights, and their vision and hopes for the future. Hello, and thank you for joining me again. Uh, this week, we return to Sweden for another clean tech startup with an amazingly versatile and game-changing technology. I'm joined by Giovanni Fili, CEO and co-founder of Exeger, a Swedish deep tech company empowering consumer electronics with its unique light harvest in powerful material. Giovanni is an experienced entrepreneur and private investor with more than 20 years of experience in entrepreneurship and 10 years experience in commercial and high-tech innovations. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Giovanni. It's great to have you on uh, as a guest on the This Week in Clean Tech podcast. Um, I'm super excited about this conversation. It's my first clean tech love was solar, and it seems that what you're doing is taking photovoltaics to a, a whole new level. Um, but before we dig into the technology, which is going to be fascinating, you, you're also, much like some of our other guests, a, a serial entrepreneur. And I'm, I'm keen, as always, to share some of your insights, not just from founding uh, Exeger, but perhaps um, if, you, if you can share what led you to be an entrepreneur in the first place and, and, and what led you particularly to clean tech? Yeah, well, thanks, David, uh, for having me. I'm uh, excited as well. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur since uh, the age of 15 and, uh, you know, opportunistic. I had uh, hotels, restaurants. I've been a lot in real estate and a lot of nanotechnology and I think the clean tech attracted me because uh, some, somewhere was, I felt that, you know, this is going to happen. Uh, we need to make a change. And then just by accident, that's, it usually happens. And for entrepreneurs, I guess, yeah. uh, I came across this technology and I, I saw an opportunity to, to start a company in, in this space. Excellent. I think that's, again, there's a lot of debate as to whether entrepreneurs are born or whether they're made. And, and we speak on the podcast of people who have been um, uh, studying PhDs and super technical before they dis, before they sort of, uh, I guess, awaken as an entrepreneur. And others, you mentioned starting at 15. So um, I, I'm not sure if that was a paper round or, or what it was at that age. But um, have you thought on whether this is a, a way of life that is innate or is it something you feel is, is uh, something which can be learned? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know where I got my entrepreneurial spirit from, to be honest, uh, as well, because my dad is an industrial guy and my mom was a librarian. So okay, I, I'm not sure. I just, you know, really, I, for me, it just happened. And it yeah. is, it's a way of life. But I'm sure that anyone can be an entrepreneur if they feel they're, if they have the right support and, and the dare to take the step. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of people who try they realize that they're not entrepreneurs because they have a much larger need for stability and comfort and need to know what's happening, what's going to happen tomorrow or the next week. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, you don't know that. The only thing you know is that you need to move, constantly move. Otherwise, you will die like the sharks. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's just a way of life. And uh, for some people, it's the best life in the world for me. Yeah, and uh, for other people, it just—I don't know—they need another comfort level, I guess. 
Yeah, I think this is something we find as we, in my day job working for Hyperion, where we um, work to build teams and that kind of mindset at which stage of a, a business's evolution is, suits an individual. And as you say, the, the entrepreneur is the is one level and, and as the company grows, there's there are different sort of levels of uh, of risk, I guess, personal risk and personal comfort factors yeah. that, that, that come into play. So uh, in terms of your previous companies, have there been any particular themes? Uh, have you had any successful exits? that have enabled you because i believe you're obviously an investor also that have uh, led you mm -hmm. to the, the the position you're in presently yeah yeah sure well in terms of uh like uh common uh, theme the common theme is that i've only done things that i love that i like so totally opportunistic yeah so no like strategy before i mean in the early years especially it's like, okay, I like candy, so I'll start a wholesale candy company. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. You know, I like hotels. Okay, did a hotel, restaurants, a lot of medicine investments. Mm -hmm. um, and then I came across, you know, when nanotechnology was very young in Sweden, this was in like 2000, 2001. Yeah. Uh, I got to know some researchers at Stockholm University and I started, you know, reading up and it, was, it interested me immensely and... And then, uh, yeah, so I've sold quite a few companies and uh, was fortunate enough to make some, a little bit of profit there and managed to yeah. invest in new companies. And that's how I built my sort of, my, 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 my structure. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. we've been so, fortunate enough to earn a little bit more than I lost. I've lost a lot of money as well <laughs> during the years. <laughs> hey, those, those scars and pain are what drives us all forward, I think. And yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure. And we might return to some of those challenges. Um, so Exeger has been in existence, though, since 2008, as I understand it. And uh, uh, although things now seem to be getting really exciting. Um, and, and last year, you had 20 million investment from, from SoftBank. So how challenging has it been to raise funds in a very competitive landscape and in, when there's so much, I guess, interest in pure set, uh, software companies uh, or solutions to be building a company in deep tech? Yeah, that's it's been a huge challenge. I mean, especially being in Sweden, and my ambition was always to be in Sweden and and remain here uh, to try and build the next big Swedish industry. Mm -hmm. So trying to find the financing for a deep tech company in Sweden has been one of the most difficult tasks, I would say, uh, over the years. Definitely. I mean, how do you explain, especially when you have something that doesn't exist? You know, yeah. how how do you explain? To an investor, okay, I'm gonna, you know, invent like a new technology, or we have this embryo for a technology that will enable you to, you know, just be self-powered and have energy independence. You don't need to charge your devices anymore, and but you won't see it. It's just gonna be there, invisible. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty tough sell, sell even <laughs> when I have it in my hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So telling people that, and so please give me your money, trust me with your money, and in 10 years I might succeed. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. But I can't uh, show you anything in the meantime. Exactly, I can't show you anything. And is, how is it going? I think it's going well, but we'll see in five <laughs> years. I mean, it's it's not an easy task. It's not. So I've been fortunate enough to find very good investors, patient yeah. investors here in Sweden, a lot of entrepreneurs and industrial people who have been successful themselves. Yeah. Who, who sort of um, recognize the challenges, but also the value of investing in, in Swedish deep tech to try and create something here in Sweden and uh, leveraging on the strong industrial heritage that we have here.
Yeah, I was going to say there are some obviously some some global mon- uh, monolith yeah. uh, industrial companies that have uh, heralded from, uh, from from Sweden. Uh, I guess also because I see them quite often. I, I exhibit and, uh, and we sponsor the Eco Summit every year in uh, in, in Berlin. Uh, yeah. And I know that the Swedish Energy Agency have always been a big supporter also yes. uh, of of the event. Have you had any interactions or support from from those guys? Oh, definitely, definitely. So the Swedish Energy Agency. They have been very important for us uh, in, in building the company. I met with them really early on, and the Swedish Energy Agency is one of the institutions in Sweden that can give quite a lot, a big financial support. Yeah. I told them early on that uh, I will wait before I come to you. I'm going to come to you when I call you. I'm going to ask for the most money you can give. <laughs> and he was laughing. The general director said, oh, "Okay," and then. Uh, uh, in 2012, I called them and I said, "This is the call you've been waiting for." <laughs> so he started <laughs> laughing, and uh, and uh, I applied for the, at the time the largest amount you could uh, get as a loan. Mm-hmm. So it was like seven million euro at the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I told him, "If you give me this, I need you to do a due diligence, market due diligence." And um, IP due diligence and technology did, uh, the works full due diligence yeah. uh, because with that I'm going to raise nine million euro private capital to match your loan uh, if you give me this. So that's how I set it up. And they did this huge due diligence and they gave me the promise for funding and then I could raise nine million private capital. Uh, it must have been a huge. Um... Uh, not just to help with the the funding, but to have somebody of that uh, an organization like that do that level of due diligence and 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 go on yeah. to lend. You must have given you a great deal of faith that you were uh, you were certainly onto something. And uh, sometimes it can be you can be blinded as an entrepreneur in your technology or in your solution. But it's good to have uh, some external um, support. Definitely, I mean the external validation at that point was absolutely crucial because uh, I mean I told all the private investors. Uh, what do you think? If we if we can produce this at scale with the properties I've shown you, do you think it's going to sell? They were like, yeah, it's going to sell like crazy. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the market due diligence. And I asked this the facade company and some construction companies, they were like, yeah, this is like, you know, unbelievable. Yeah. Does it work? I said, well, let's ask, the, let's, let's ask the experts. Let's have an independent organization, you know, do the evaluation. And if they approve it, the technical and the, the IP situation, you have already done your market study, then, you know, let's do it together. So that's yeah. how we set it up. And it was, so I took a bet that uh, they would treat us fairly and have the best people to look at it. And they did. And it worked out. So we are uh, definitely a big supporter of the Swedish Energy Agency. Yeah. Sometimes you need either an organization or, or, or something like that as a catalyst to, to, to move you towards major change, and it's, uh, it's great to have that. And there's lots I want to talk around this, the, the, the process of uh, getting to where you are now, but I think for the audience it would be very useful if, uh, if you could just share a little bit, first of all, of, of what exactly the technology is and what are the sort of the applications that are going to be the, the first type of places where we're going to see this technology in use. Sure. So... Uh, you can say that this is a ver- new version of a technology called disensitized solar cells, which was or, or Gretzel cells, which was originally developed by Professor Gretzel some 27 years ago. Uh, it's a silicon-free solar cell, third-generation solar cells. It's thin, thin films that we print. We're using screen printing. Okay. 
And uh, what's unique with the technology is that we have uh, eliminated the ITO layer, the indium-doped tin oxide layer, which is the transparent conducting layer, collecti mm -hmm. collecting the electrons from the cell surface and leading it out to the cables. Uh, as the same with silicon cells, you know, there's a silver mesh printed yep. on top of the of the of the silicon surface, and this silver grid is called current collectors. It's called to collect the current. All technologies need these silver lines to collect the current. We yep. don't. We don't because our uh, replacement material has around 1,000 times better conductivity. And this allows us to print large homogeneous surfaces without any silver lines crossing them. Okay. And we print this conducting layer. So we have free form printing. We can print it in the form of a circle or a rectangle or a triangle or a fruit or anything you like. So uh, this is the sort of core of the innovation, the new, this mm -hmm. new superconducting material. So we have a new architecture in the cell with new components. Almost all of them are new. We produce them, manufacture them ourselves. And we optimize the cell to work under suboptimal light conditions, such as indoor, diffuse light, reflected light, shade, in the rain. So we don't go heads up with like silicon or cadmium telluride to, uh, yeah. for, for power production. It's completely not interesting. So we have this free form factor. It can look like almost anything. And we can make the top surface um, look like almost anything as well. So we're using a lot of different leathers, leather-like structures, textile, mm -hmm. carbon fiber. So these two in combination... Uh, allows us, and we produce electricity all the time from I mean, indoor to, all, of course, also full sunshine, but all the time. Yeah. So these factors allow us to, allows us to integrate in products that are already selling in hundreds of millions, such as, you know, wireless headphones, e-readers, tablets, IoT products, you know, helmets, uh, wearables, fashion yeah. garments, Basically, well, a lot of different stuff. So the product itself is called Powerfoil. So that's the product we're going to sell. It's like, imagine Gore-Tex. You, know, yeah. you, see, you see the Gore-Tex brand on a jacket. You know it has certain uh, characteristics. Yeah. Same with us. We see the Powerfoil brand. You'll know this is a self-charging capacity. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's one of the really fascinating things. Again, you know, people have often talked around, you know, buildings with coatings and windows with coatings. And it's been talked about a lot of one of the challenges has been the amount of energy that can be harvested. Uh, and of course, the application um, uh, is uh, not really been there so far. So are, are there many competitive products uh, as far evolved as, uh, as the power foil? Not that we know of. I mean, uh... I always I get this question a lot, and I always say yes. We we need to assume everyone needs to assume that there are super strong, smart competitors working like maniacs uh, mm -hmm. everywhere, and I, I'm sure there is. The big difference from between us and many of these groups that I, I I don't know that they exist, but I assume it. So the big difference between us and these groups is that they are still in the lab because you cannot enter into fab or scale up before making too much noise. Yeah. So there are a few things that you need to do. To be able to commercialize deep tech, you need between 10 and 15 years of time 
you need a couple of hundred millions of pounds, and you need to file patents, and you need to recruit smart people. And all of these things, they make noise. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, how people know what Apple's cooking, for example, because they see yeah. who they recruit and what patents they file and so on. So we're pretty sure uh, we know a lot what's going on, and we're pretty sure who is doing what. And we know that there's no one uh, close to us. Uh, okay. have, there are a few groups working in the lab on mainly facade uh, developments for like transparent. Yeah. That yeah. We, can, we can also do that, like transparent cells for facade integration. Uh, but they're probably somewhere between five and seven years behind us if they ever but, leave, manage to leave the lab. Yeah, which obviously lots of products don't uh, across a range of technologies. Yeah. You, you touched on a few of the main themes there, but that's something I wanted to explore with you because 2008 founding is a long time ago in, in, in the sort of the, uh, I, I guess, in clean tech world where things move so quickly. Um, but what again have been, or perhaps you can expand on some of the biggest challenges that you faced, aside from fundraising, which we've touched on, what yeah. are the other big challenges that you've uh, had to uh, overcome to get to this point of commercialization? Yeah. Yeah, apart from funding, I would say that recruiting is one of the main challenges, definitely, in building uh, this kind of company. Mm-hmm. Again, especially when I can't really, you know, explain in detail what we work with or how it, how it works. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, please come and work for us. I can't really tell you what you're going to do or what we're doing, but <laughs> uh, I promise you're going to love it. And uh, so that, that's been tough because we didn't want to go public. And a lot of well, yeah. some, some companies, they... They do it, I call it the American way. You know, they go out in public, they're very mm-hmm. open, they brag, and they're screaming and making a lot of noise to get attention, I guess. Yep. And yep. Can, can be good for some companies to get a lot of people uh, applying for jobs. We have been much more flying under the radar all these years to try and keep the technology intact and in secret here in Sweden. Yeah. So it's been tough to recruit. Um, but I also... At this point, that makes me extra proud of the great team that we have. We're yeah. almost 120 people now from 22 different countries, a lot of smart women and men, and many have PhDs, and yeah. I'm really, it's really not- proud. Yeah. I was going to touch on that because, again, at Hyperion, we recruit for from for many uh, tech companies at various different stages of development. But it is a global marketplace, and uh, it's a challenge to to find the right people uh, and be willing to uh, a take the risk from a personal point of view and, and often to relocate. But uh, um, but to have 120 people, they're all based in in Sweden. Everyone is based here, and uh, actually, everyone is a shareholder as well. Okay. Yeah, everyone is based here, and uh, we we help people who want to move here. We help them with relocation services. We help them for the husband or the wife to settle in, and the kids, you know, daycare. Everything, yeah. you know, everything is free here in Sweden. If you have free daycare center, free schools, free food in school, it's like really easy to move here. And, yeah, uh, it's quite safe as well. So. But yeah, no, it's a, we have recruited across the Scandinavia also, and um, yeah, I think that's a, a, a part of the package that people don't often appreciate. It's not just the individual, but it's the, the family and yes. the other circumstances uh, uh, around that to make sure you have an employee who's fully engaged and is able to do so comfortably. Yeah. And uh, credit to, to, to building a team of, uh, of of that scale. So people and money, of course, are, are big challenges. But uh, in, in terms of the technology, have there been again without sharing anything confidential? But mm-hmm. have there been in particular um, milestones or, or um, um, 
challenges or failures along the way to to get to this point? Oh God, yes, many, many. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, it, it, it's like the, we don't have a book, you know, to open and and read how to do. Well, there's no, yeah. we can't ask anyone. We just have to invent everything ourselves, and then it's just trial and error. So we've had um, some periods. I mean, now we're pretty good, but I remember once we were, we suddenly it just didn't work. Yeah. It was in November, and the cells just they didn't work anymore. We were completely, we didn't know what to do. Everyone was in, and we were de- depressed. We were trying to locate the source. We couldn't understand what was wrong. Mm-hmm. And it ended up with us buying just you know a lot of new stuff for the lab. Like we threw out all the ovens and we cleaned everything that worked. Then we threw it out, bought new. So something is contaminating the cell, and we just couldn't understand what it was. And we changed everything and we did this massive thing. And then it, it worked for a while. It was like, yes. And then suddenly <laughs> it stopped working again. <laughs> like, what's going? What's wrong? And then we realized. Just out of coincidence, Henrik was walking past in the lab and saw one of the lab technicians mm-hmm. using uh, a tweezer to lift uh, the cell. Yeah. And then uh, he used the same tweezer in another, uh, touching another thing, mm-hmm. which was just contaminated the whole cell. Okay. <laughs> Something he, small but massive. Yeah, and yeah. He, had, he had been doing that. You know, he, he used to have two tweezers. Henrik was like, "Where's the other tweezer? I don't know. Someone, someone took it. So, but now, this guy, I'm using one now. <laughs> no, there was two tweezers for a reason there. <laughs> so that yeah. sort of. So sometimes it's just you know small things that you can't predict. Nothing fundamental. I mean, in the early yeah. years we were doing all the fundamental stuff, and I mean, inventing a new solar cell that can't be done. I mean, you have five. You have four or five technologies, commercial technologies, after 60 years, 70 years of research. So that yeah. was uh, incredible in itself. Since then, it's been a lot around uh, com- um, uh, industrialization, scaling up. Mm-hmm. What happens when we do 1,000 square meters of this instead of, you know, one? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the answer is no. you, can't, you can't predict these things. That's the problem. You just need to do it and see what happens. No one in the whole world knows what's going to happen. Yeah. That's why you need that money. Yeah. You certainly need money, but the other thing you need in abundance is resilience. And, and that's, yeah. again, something that comes across both from an entrepreneurial point of view in terms of leading any business through these challenges. But, of course, everybody in the company and from the lab onwards needs to be able to um, cope uh, in, in the face of such failures. Yes, definitely. It's, you're, you're putting on, on, on right on the spot. Resilience, I mean, just keep on fighting. That's it's tough sometimes. So you know, okay, we got four or five years left now until we can start selling. You know, mm-hmm. keep up the good spirit. It's not always easy, but yeah. the team is fantastic, and we've had a lot of fun as well. Yeah, I think that's also one of the challenges when you have something which is difficult to bring to fruition, but the potential outcomes. I mean, people use the term "game changing." I think too easily, but your technology, I, I, from what I've seen of it, you know, clearly is. And uh, we we see massive uh, predictions in the use of wearables, for example, which would be hugely dependent on a power source um, such as yours. So perhaps we can revert back to that in terms of what you see the future applications. I think you, you, you as I understand it. 
you've, you've uh, already made a commercial arrangement with a with a, a wireless headphone uh, company. Perhaps you can share what you can with that, and and also where else you're uh, likely to see the technology in the coming years. Yeah, that's correct. We we uh, we announced uh, a partnership with uh, the Harman Group last year. Harman Group is the world's largest audio company. So owned, it's mm-hmm. owned it's owned by Samsung, and uh, they own brands like Harman Kardon, JBL, AKG, Infinity, yeah. and others. So huge. I think that's twenty four thousand employees. Uh, and uh, we made it official that we're going to launch the first product. It's going to be a JBL headphone called Reflect Eternal. And we uh, started the pre-sales online before Christmas with great success. Powerful. Okay. Was, yeah, people loved Powerful and they are just been received fantastically well. So that's been announced. We've also announced a partnership with a Swedish helmet manufacturer called POC, P-O-C. A very, very good uh, helmet manufacturer known to be mm-hmm. in front line of technology and safety. And uh, I think it was announced that we're going to release the first product, showcase it at the trade fair, I think in London, actually, early this fall. Okay. Yeah. So we're getting to that point where we'll start to see some of the products. It, it resonated with me because I'm just about to fly out to, to Austin for, for a conference and uh, mm. was frantically making sure I had to remember to take my charger for my for my wireless headphones exactly. after spending so long on the plane. So, uh, yeah, exactly. It, uh, now we're also going to see – so we're going to see them on wireless headphones this year on helmets. We're also going to see them on, a, on one or two more products we haven't uh, announced yet, but some sort of – Reading devices, probably a good guess. Uh, okay. We're also looking a lot at IoT products, of course, and and uh, other smart home products, which I think is a field that will grow a lot next coming three years. Okay, okay. I guess one of the questions is, because having been involved with uh, Solar since 2007 and having seen the evolution of sort of traditional, as you say, those main technologies in, uh, in photovoltaics and how... Um, the capacity uh, uh, has improved and, and everything else, but there, there's still an issue of conversion of, of light into power, essentially. Um, and, of course, then there's the element of transferring the power through an inverter into a battery and all this kind of mechanism. So um, what sort of... Uh, power levels are you likely to get? So from the headphones, for example, will they still need to be powered externally or, or what sort of um, life uh, recharging are you expecting? So for the JBL uh, Reflect Eternal, um, we say virtually unlimited playtime. Um, so in the end, it depends on how much you listen, of course, and how much where do you where you spend your time if it's in a yeah. if you're in an office if you're walking to the to the subway if you're in the car if you're bicycling whatever but the the main bulk of all the users for the JBL that reflect eternal with powerful on it yeah. will definitely have eternal life it's just going to charge itself by you doing nothing at all and def, so this is the you for the standard user for headphones this is going to be mm-hmm. the case and that's pretty nice actually 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, when you think of the knock-on consequences of, um, of course, we all need power stations to uh, to to, to uh, provide electricity in the first place, and and of course, fortunately, many of these now are, are renewable technologies, but we still have many fossil fuel plants, and of course, then batteries, which is a big part of what we're involved with, is helping people to to make ever more efficient and uh, useful batteries. But if um, if you don't have to produce them um, or, or because of these technologies, then you're making a potentially significant impact on um, uh, on areas where there are severe challenges, i.e. generating and storing energy. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, if you look at on a global scale or if you look at the U.S., for example, in 2017, they, they, the American households spent 143 terawatt hours of electricity just to power and charge consumer electronics, this is the same amount of energy that Sweden uses as a nation. So, <laughs> so, I mean, so it's, it's just ridiculous amounts, and that's only the U.S. To offset that, you would need to plant 1.66 billion trees and allow them to grow for 10 years to offset that carbon dioxide emission. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of, it's definitely a big thing, big impact. So that must give you and your employees a huge sense of purpose to be able to address a problem of that scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does, definitely. So uh, it just becomes much more concrete and tangible when you start looking at numbers and data. And mm-hmm. I mean, our strategy is to be important. We want to be important. You know, I think that there's so many fantastic technologies that never gets deployed or get the real impact they deserve yeah. maybe. And that's because they're not important for you and me, not important for, for the users for the, in their lives. So we've, we've spent a lot of time thinking about how can we be relevant? How can we be important? Yeah. I mean, you, you don't spend your, your days thinking about climate you know, change or uh, emissions all the time. You're m- much more worried about how much battery you got in your headphones or your phone or your computer. For, you need to work because you need to you live your life through these electronic devices. Yeah. You communicate with your family and your work and you find information, you give information. So if we can combine and look at, I mean, I have three, three kids. I spend way too much time in front of those different screens. Yeah. But if I can combine our technology, if we can combine our technology with the things that are important for people, then we also become super relevant and it's so easy to explain as well. Everyone understands yeah. it. Energy independence is probably one of the strongest drivers I've ever seen. You know, people really love to be energy independent. Yeah, absolutely. And they, again, the critical factor in any uh, technology roadmap is when the technology, when you don't think about the technology, it's just, it just exists and it's just there. Then that's when it's been truly successful and uh, is, um, um, yeah, has, has changed the game. It's funny you mention it because <clears throat> if you look at solar, in 1958, the Americans sent the first. Uh, satellite to space powered by PV. It was it was true. It was high tech, really high tech. And then it became tech. You know, you can see it in calculators and mm-hmm. watches and stuff. <clears throat> we call our technology high tech because it's just hidden. It's just going to be there. You're going to everyone's going to expect it in in yeah. the future, even though they won't see it. They just going to expect surfaces to be self-powered everywhere. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And you, you sort of touched on an analogy earlier of, uh, of the product, like with Gore-Tex, everybody knows what that is and where it's likely to be. So, but in terms of the future business model for, for your company, is the plan to license the, uh, the IP or the technology, or will you continue to produce the substrate or, or, or the coatings and then sell that on to manufacturers? Uh, what's the sort of the, the longer game for you guys? So, the current strategy is to, to produce ourselves, to manufacture. So we have one factory now, and then we're going to build another factory in a few years, probably also mm-hmm. here in Sweden. Uh, since this is a completely new technology, I think that we should keep it here and manufacture and just ship ship the products, the power foil to, to, to different integrators mm-hmm. where they can make it into uh, the final product. It's the best way, I think, to keep the IP and keep the knowledge here. And so knowledge intense as well. So yeah. we would need to spend too much time and efforts of teaching someone else to do it. Better we just do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, again, what does then the the next few years look like for you? It just sounds like you're coming to some commercialization of, pro- of products this year, where people can actually put their hands on on the technology and the the consumer goods which are um, uh, utilizing the technology. But uh, what does the next three or four years look like for for the company? Well, I mean, <clears throat> this year we're going to have, like I said, we're going to have uh, three products probably on the market, and we're holding back next year will be huge. We're going to have many more products. We're going to have a lot of customers and we're going to really take off. We're going to take our foot off the brake. And then from there on, we're going to build a new factory and just keep on expanding. We're going to expand into many, many different areas. So Mm -hmm. I think we're going to have probably six or seven business areas within two years. And uh, yeah, I see too many options almost (laughs) we have to keep we have to you know stick to the plan keep our focus yeah yeah and so going back to yourself and in uh, as the the ceo founder entrepreneur you're talking then of expansion which will require of course more people we've touched on the difficulty of more money which we've touched on the difficulty of uh, evolution of the technology so what are the personal challenges that 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 you have or, or you foresee in the in the next couple of years on the per- challenges on a personal level, ooh, it's the first time I get that question, I think. <laughs> uh, probably letting go of control. Yeah. It's going to be tough. You know, having, uh, I mean, today it's still within reach somehow, but you know, when I'm traveling, sometimes I stop and I just, I close my eyes and I just think and I enjoy the moment. I'm thinking, okay, right now, 114 other people are working in the factory, doing yeah. in the company, doing great things with only one thing, uh, you know, in same, sharing the same goal, mm-hmm. make good things for the company. But I'm still sort of in control of the, most of the things. I know what's yeah. going on and why. I think that when we have two factories and we're going to need to have, you know, uh, another structure. I uh, won't be able to be involved so much in all the decisions, probably. Yeah. It's going to be tough. It, it is a tough thing to let go. It's also tough to, um, I think, adapt because there are, as we interview both on the podcast and through, through, through Hyperion, many people who are 
brilliant at getting in the startup uh, phase done. Uh, and there are some that are brilliant at the scale-up phase. And it's a challenge to find an individual and or to, the, the skill set for, for an entrepreneur or founder to, to go from startup phase to scale-up phase. And is that something you feel um, uh, equipped for? Or, or what, what are, uh, again, some of the areas where perhaps you um, uh, are really excited for the, the challenges that you face ahead? I think we're very well equipped for scaling up. So I've, <clears throat> I've geared up the team over the last two years with a lot of very senior people who have done it before. Mm-hmm. And um, both from an industrial perspective and product development perspective, quality perspective, and the design, marketing, all of it. So we have, I took a decision two years ago to start recruiting much more senior people uh, yeah. in preparation for the scale-up. So I'm, that, I'm totally confident there. Um, it I think that's really, um, yeah, yeah, and it shows a lot of insight. Of course, we work with a lot of companies as to go through that phase, and uh, so often a lot of things are done um, on a sort of a, a level of immediacy. Of, of now we have this fundraising, or now we have this money, we need to scale. But to have the foresight to perhaps recruit people in advance of when you need them to make sure that everything is in place, I think is uh, again great testament. And we have a number of clients who have that mentality, but it's not typical when you have so many plates to juggle to, to have that foresight. Mm. Yeah, no. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm happy I did it. <laughs> In retrospect, it was the best <laughs> thing we did. So, um, okay. Yeah. In terms of the product, again, because I know a lot of people would love to get their hands on and see, we'll, we'll point um, on the episode page to your website and to the information that's publicly available. But um, I don't know if you were at CES this year or, the, or in, in the US or whether that's on the plan for, for next year, but um, where and when can people have an opportunity to, to see and feel the, 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 the product? Um, the headphones, will they be available in retail stores or online? And, and, and where else can people uh, have a touch and feel of, uh, of, the, of the solution? Yeah, so the first headphones, uh, they are available uh, a few more days online. You can buy them online until the 31st of January. Then uh, the first group of people will get delivery after summer sometime. This is the JBL who controls, but I think around October. We will be present uh, at different trade shows. We were at CES this year. You were, yeah. Yeah. How did that go? Oh, it was uh, huge. It was fantastic. One of the guys think... he texted in. We had a WhatsApp, uh, you know, group, and he texted, "This is like selling free gold." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, such an event. Yeah, I mean, we've been so silent for such a long time. Now we're much more open and show show what we can do and what we have, and it's very, very, very well received. Yeah. And I bet that must be refreshing also for, for the management team and everybody within the business to be coming out from uh, from stealth mode. Yeah, very much. Very nice. Yeah. So let's revert back, I guess, to, to, to some of the challenges or advices that you might give to, to others who are founding technologies which are um, less straightforward to bring to market. I mean, are, are there particular learnings or things that uh, you've experienced in this particular startup um, that uh, you would share in terms of things that people should perhaps be aware of that doesn't even for a seasoned entrepreneur perhaps aren't always apparent when you start the journey? Oh, devices. Well, uh, I mean, for me, the most important thing is to find, don't do it yourself. Find a good partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 
be aware be aware of what you try and be honest with yourself to know what you do what to know yourself what am i good at and everything else you're not good at and get people yeah. who are good at that because you can never do these things alone and don't be afraid to share things but just know what's important keep the most secret parts super secret and the rest be quite generous you know sharing information and because just gives this openness yeah. and you're able to attract smart people uh it will take longer time than you think bring in more money than you think you need and think how you can find you know investors that have a value that see a value investing in investing in you that is not yeah. only waiting to sell you know you need to find investors who like the journey who think it has a value to participate in the journey where you yeah. maybe with your knowledge you can teach them things they can teach you things i mean we have helped many of our investors in many different ways giving like speeches teaching them about mm-hmm. materials giving them value even though they're not going to sell for another 10 years their shares yeah. so and then just yeah, don't think... give up that's the main thing don't give up just keep on fighting comes back to that resilience but yeah. um yeah yeah having uh, always uh, needing more money than you think is a theme that comes up often um yeah, yeah. Uh, as is the time frame um it, it, things take longer than uh, than than you expect listen it's been really insightful uh, giovanni to talk to we're really looking forward to seeing the product before we before we close the podcast are there any um books mentors thought leaders that continue to inspire you personally and in in your business life yeah i read a book called grit like once every year okay. by by Angela Duxworth is yeah. really good read it i recommend it especially if you have Scooby. kids <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where you do need some resilience um yeah yeah, yeah no i've i've had that book mentioned i've not actually read it myself so i'll, I'll dig that out maybe use the headphones on the on an audiobook for the yeah. for the flights coming <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> why not yeah. okay well okay. listen it's been really good to to talk to you giovanni actually on the podcast on the episode page we'll share the website and uh, the information that's available um super excited to see some of the products come to uh to, to the marketplace and to see the, the evolution of your company but thank you for sharing your time with us today thank you a lot thanks a lot david for having me it was a pleasure I hope you enjoyed that conversation with giovanni such an exciting technology with so much potential to change the way we live I really appreciate your support of the podcast. Please do continue to share episodes among your community and an iTunes review would be awesome if you have the time. Don't forget to subscribe to join me on the next episode. We'll see you then.